Hi everyone, I'm Tara Mont, and you're listening to the Trust and Thrive with Tara Mont podcast, where you can find a new episode released every Thrive Thursday. I am a current clinical psychology graduate student, passionate about all things to do with mental health, relationships, healing, self-reflection, and other topics that influence us in our everyday lives. I created this podcast to hopefully inspire others to live their most authentic life and to share insightful and honest conversations with everyday individuals and informed professionals. Although the show is not a replacement for therapy, I hope the conversations had can inspire you to look within, to practice self-compassion, to gain more awareness, and to trust the process of your unique journey. If you resonate with the message of Trust and Thrive, make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. You can also stay connected by following me on Instagram at Trust and Thrive. Thank you for being here. Now let's get right into this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Trust and Thrive. I'm your host, Tara Mont, and we're back today with a new episode on a topic that I don't think we've discussed on the show before. So this is very exciting. (laughs) Um, We are discussing the topic of ADHD and executive functioning. So today's guest, to introduce him right away, his name is Michael McLeod. Michael is an ASHA certified speech and language pathologist and executive function ADHD specialist. Michael focuses on the unique and innovative skill of internal language while constructing interpersonal relationships and meaningful varied experiences for students. Michael is the owner of Grow Now Therapy Services, LLC, which is a specialized private practice in Philadelphia. Michael has also traveled internationally, presenting and training families and professionals on his unique Grow Now treatment model for fostering executive functions and resiliency. And you can follow Michael on Instagram at GrowNowTherapy. So I learned a lot from this episode. I've always been interested in ADHD. I had been learning about it in my courses in my graduate program, but I did not know much about executive functioning, the different skills, what that looks like, and even how ADHD affects all areas of our lives. I think there are so many myths and misconceptions around the diagnosis of ADHD, which can leave a lot of people feeling lonely, misunderstood, and frustrated. So I appreciate Michael for the work that he does and for sharing that with us today. So before we get into the conversation, I want to thank everyone who has left a rating and review of the show on Apple iTunes. And thank you for listening, for being here. If you want to support the show, it really helps uh, Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts by leaving a rating and review. It means the world, and I appreciate any feedback. So thank you in advance. You can also follow me on Instagram at Trust and Thrive, and you can follow Michael once again at Grow Now Therapy. And all that info, as always, will be in the show notes of the episode. That being said, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Let's get right into it with Michael. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for being on the show. I'm really excited to have you here. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. So before we get into the topic at hand, can you tell us a little more about yourself and what you do? Sure. Uh, So my name is Michael McLeod. I am a licensed and certified speech and language pathologist. 
I specialize in ADHD and executive functioning. I own a private practice out in Philadelphia known as Grow Now Therapy. Um, I take a language-based approach towards ADHD and executive functioning, working on building skills instead of putting short-term accommodations on these students. So I look to build the skill of internal language in individuals with ADHD and executive functioning. And that's a very complex uh, term. It's a term I've kind of coined myself, and uh, it really has to do with a lot of the, the core deficits of ADHD which we now know about and its connections to executive functioning. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm a speech and language pathologist. A lot of people hear speech and language pathologist and they think, oh, that's someone who works with articulation or works with stuttering and works with you know speech and intelligibility, but it's speech and language pathologist. So speech and language are two very, very different things. I'm much more of a language therapist than a speech therapist. And uh, executive functioning and ADHD is my area of expertise. Amazing. And before we talk more about what you exactly do, can you maybe give some general misconceptions you hear about ADHD? Because I think a lot of people don't necessarily know what it is. And they may think, oh, well, if that kid works harder, they just try harder. They can be like, just like everyone else. You got it. So uh, ADHD may have more overall misconceptions than any other disorder there is. Uh, ADHD, you know, one of the biggest problems with ADHD is that it's been very poorly labeled. So the term ADHD and ADD are really not a good summation of what the disorder is. It's a very old and outdated label of the disorder. So ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And there are two subtypes or three subtypes, really. There's hyperactivity, inattentiveness, and the combined type, so hyperactivity and inattentive, which most are. Uh, so the old school view of ADHD was really focused on the external symptoms, what these kids were presenting with visually. Hyperactivity, kids who can't sit still, inattentiveness, kids who can't focus. And one of the biggest issues with ADHD is that so many of these kids overall are very, very high functioning with very, very high IQs. And the way that our school system is set up with IEPs and 504s, you're really not going to get labeled for special services unless you're struggling academically or something is really, uh, 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 really able to be seen. Uh, so a lot of these kids really get swept under the rug. They, they get diagnosed as, as just lazy and kids that don't want to do their work. They're disinterested. They're you know, they're too hyper. They, they, they don't want to focus. They don't care about school. They don't care about their grades, but deep down they do. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's executive functioning. It's, it's, it's the inability to self-regulate. Self-regulation deficit disorder is a much better label for ADHD than ADHD is. Uh, it's truly a disorder of self-regulation, not hyperactivity or inattentiveness. So there's many people calling it uh, self SRDD, self-regulation deficit disorder, as well as EFDD, which is executive function developmental delay. So we, we do know that ADHD is a developmental delay of the executive functioning system. So that's another misconception is, oh, my son has ADHD. He doesn't have executive dysfunction. There's a lot of misconceptions between what's ADHD and what's executive functions. And 100%, they are exactly the same thing. If you have ADHD, you have a delay in executive function skills. 
most often a three-year delay. So if you're 10 years old and you have ADHD, you're probably more of a seven-year-old maturation-wise in your executive functioning. So a three-year delay. So executive function, developmental delay, self-regulation, developmental delay, uh, the old school focus on hyperactivity and inattentiveness. It's really self-regulation in various environments towards challenges and various stimuli, self-motivation towards non-preferred tasks, self-evaluation, the ability to learn from past experiences and apply it to the present. And it's all based in self-talk or internal language, which, which, which I mentioned. That's so interesting. Thank you for clarifying. And I think on the other end, too, a lot of people get misdiagnosed if they're in class and, you know, there's only one way they're teaching students and they think, oh, they're not interested. They must have ADHD because they can't focus when it may be the form that they're being taught in is not what's, you know, what they prefer and what's good for them. So I appreciate you clarifying that. And you were mentioning executive functioning skills and some examples. Can you talk more about what those look like for someone who doesn't know the term and when you usually start developing them? Sure. So so a, a quick way to describe executive functioning is it's basically like the air traffic controller of the brain. So it's, it's, it's taking monitor of what's incoming, what's outcoming, making sure everything's organized and moving smoothly. So executive function skills simply are independent skills. If you have strong executive functioning, you are not prompt dependent on someone else. You don't have someone else acting as your executive functioning. Um, so executive function skills are the ability, like I said before, the ability to self-regulate, self-motivate and self-evaluate and learn from past experiences and apply information to the present, the ability to take a step back, regulate your emotions, motivate towards non-preferred tasks, and perform as your best self in various environments independently. So executive functions are the ability to be independent. Uh, and with ADHD, we have that, we have that specific delay. Uh, executive functions are really, uh, ranging based on age. Of course, as they, we get older, uh, you're expected to do more independently, such as time management, the ability to plan ahead, whether it's one week, two weeks, a month, two months, two months is usually the max, the ability to organize both internally and externally, the ability to create system of systems of organization independently and follow through with them, uh, the ability to initiate non-preferred tasks, persist until completion, uh, mental flexibility, the ability to really uh, see other people's points of view and uh, have uh, socially relate to others. So there's a lot of social pragmatic language. This is another part of the ADHD language connection that I like to highlight is there's a lot of things with ADHD that affect social skills as well. And that's the mental flexibility piece. So uh, depending on the age, there will be more expected of you You'll, expect, you'll be expected to be more independent with your executive functioning as we get older. And these skills really begin between like five and seven years old is when we really start to see true executive functionings happen. Uh, a lot of you know early language that babies have before they start talking in terms of eye contact, object permanence, the ability to focus and on, on a person's face. Those are, you know, pre-executive functions. So executive functions are happen before language. Executive functions are needed for language. But true executive function skills 
really happen around kindergarten age. And I just find that fascinating because everyone, you know, grows up in a very different environment as well. Imagine if someone grows up in a very protective household where everything's done for them and they kind of learn to grow up in that way. So what are some signs in general? I know there's so many different types of skills because I think too with ADHD, a lot of people get diagnosed later in life. I know people who weren't diagnosed till they were adults. And I'm curious as to what signs you see, whether it's in childhood or adulthood, that may show that you may be struggling with some executive functioning skills and maybe it is time to reach out for help if needed. Sure. So so in childhood, in uh, kindergarten, preschool, in the early elementary years, you're really looking to do a lot of informal observations in the classroom, in the natural environment. If you see one student who is consistently and chronically standing out, inability to self-regulate and follow directions, inability to sit for circle time and listen, inability to initiate a task, uh, persist and complete a task, and really blend in with their peers and socially relate to their peers, you can kind of pick up on something happening here. And that's when you want to dive deeper into an evaluation and make sure there's uh, no uh, ASD or something else happening, whatever it may be. You really want to do some informal observations and see what's happening consistently. So every kid that age has a bad day or two and may not be able to regulate or may not be able to follow through. But if you're doing consistent observations and you see one kid who's rolling around on the floor, getting in trouble, upsetting their peers not sitting down and doing their work, uh, then, then you realize that you have some sort of issue. Uh, and if they're alienating their peers and they're constantly getting in trouble, uh, you can start to recognize, okay, this is someone who's not assimilating. This is not someone who is building situational awareness and recognizing what their peers are doing and following through and making their body look like their body and their actions follow their actions. So that's really what you wanna start to see because between kindergarten and early elementary, kids start to develop social awareness where they see the rest of the class sitting for circle time, doing their work, following directions. And if you notice a student's not doing that, they're kind of off doing their own thing, you kind of wanna step in and do some evaluations. Uh, And for people that uh, get, get diagnosed later in life, Um, It's a lot of, you know, one thing that that is really common with individuals with ADHD is they have something called the fixed mindset. So there's the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. And this is the work of Dr. Carol Dweck. She's amazing. She wrote the book Mindset. She's she's done some great work in terms of psychology. So the fixed mindset is when you believe that everything in your life is set in stone and permanent. I'm good at this. I'm bad at this. This is good. This is bad. Those sorts of things. Life is the way it is. I am who I am. There's no changing. There's no skill building. I have what I have. So a lot of individuals with ADHD will find two or three things that they're comfortable with and just stick with it. So a lot of individuals with ADHD get strongly addicted to screens and video games. So the vast majority of the students on my caseload in high school, college, middle school, really have very strong screen addictions to their phone, to video games, whatever it may be, because they feel comfortable, they feel in control, uh, they're able to uh, you know, be alone and they don't, there's no extra added weight there. It's, it's giving them a constant dopamine drip playing that game. Um, so, so what you really wanna see with older people with ADHD is really what are they doing on a daily basis? 
Is it just one, two, three things? Or are they having varied experiences? Are they open to new ideas? Are they trying new things? Are they flexible? Are they going out and meeting new people? Are they, do they have a routine? Uh, or is their life just totally disorganized and they're not able to finish what they start? Uh, they're not able to uh, put themselves out there. There's some anxiety. There's some negative self-talk um, and, you know, an inability to get ahead, an inability to really accomplish their goals and follow through on goals. This is when you can start to say like, okay, there might be a little bit of a brain difference here. That's really interesting, too, because I think in mainstream media, from what I've seen about ADHD, it's focused on like career or schoolwork. They just can't focus or they feel stupid. And I don't think it's talked about enough about how it can affect relationships and, you know, even leave people feeling alone or they're not priority when it may just be someone, you know, they're focused on their screen because of their ADHD and it may not even be personal. So can you talk a little bit more maybe about how you've seen in your work that it does affect relationships and how it can affect more than just, you know, getting tasks done? That is a fantastic point. So that's, a, that's an excellent question. So like I was saying before about how ADHD is so widely misunderstood, where in the past, all we looked at were, were kids who were hyperactive and inattentive. And now we know that ADHD is executive function developmental delay. So it's not just hyperactive and inattentive people, it's people with delayed executive functioning, people with delayed uh, independent skills. And like I said before, people with delayed internal language. So I didn't really get a, a, a good chance to describe internal language. Internal language is two separate skills, which is the foundation of all executive functioning. So first is nonverbal working memory, which is the visual imagery system of the brain which is the ability to hold images in mind, create mental movies, re-image the relevant past, forecast the future, pre-experience things, prepare yourself, plan, prioritize, problem solve. All executive functioning, all strong executive functioning starts with nonverbal working memory. So having a mental movie, having a theater in the mind, that's what Dr. Dr. Russell Barkley talks about, is having a theater in the mind, a DVD player in the brain. And that's where it all begins. And then there's verbal working memory, which is the self-talk brain coach system. So it's the ability to have an internal dialogue and have a straight up conversation with your brain to kind of stand back and talk to your brain and sort of figure things out before you make a decision or do something. And it's amazing uh, how many of my students uh, that I work with in my private practice, I'll ask them. Hey, like, do you ever have, do you ever talk to yourself? Do you ever have an internal conversation? And they're like, no, I never do that. I never do that. But then I'll talk to someone without ADHD and they're like, yeah, I do that all the time. From the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, I'm always talking to myself. And these kids with ADHD just are not talking to themselves. It's amazing. So they're not visualizing and they're not talking to themselves. That's internal language. And that creates a myriad of issues. And that's going to present itself in relationships, in social relationships and other relationships as well. And one thing that that causes, so obviously if you have a delay in internal language, you're not able to think about your thinking. You're not able to analyze your thinking. You don't have appropriate metacognitive skills, self-evaluation skills. So if you're not able to think about your thinking, you definitely aren't thinking about someone else's thinking. So that's perspective taking skills. 
So this is a total misunderstanding of ADHD. And this is something that so few people know about. If you have ADHD, there is a very, very strong chance, probably a 99.9% chance you have issues with perspective taking, the ability to think about other people's thoughts. And if you can't do that in a relationship, whether it's your friend or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, whatever it may be, that's really going to cause a lot of problems in your relationship because you're not thinking about how your actions affect other people. And you're not thinking about what are what what may they be thinking? What may they be feeling? Uh, so perspective taking, social relatedness, being able to relate to others on a more intimate level, whether that's friends or, or a relationship, uh, and overall situational awareness. And you know, if you're stuck in that fixed mindset and you're mentally rigid instead of mentally flexible, it's going to be so hard for you to bring people into your lives and be vulnerable and be open and build a true deep relationship. And the majority of people with, with ADHD are boys. And people think that boys are a little bit more, you know, the stereotypical, like tougher and, you know, boys, you know, guy friends don't need to be close. They can just play sports. They can just play video games. Boys, especially, you know, younger boys, high school, middle school boys, they need close relationships. They need friends. They need friends that they connect with, that they feel safe around, that they feel comfortable around. And you have to be able to relate to others. You have to be able to have perspective taking. You have to be able to be able to open up to people and have someone to speak to outside of the family dynamic. So ADHD significantly causes social relationship issues. That's really interesting, too, because I think that can come off as a lack of empathy or not caring. And I've read about it, too, that a lot of people with ADHD may, it seems like you're interrupting the conversation to talk about yourself, when to them it may be that they're just trying to relate and it may come off as rude. So I think those social skills, it's really interesting to hear about and know. And so I wanted to ask you your advice on how you think someone, say I have a friend or a loved one who I may see have similar patterns, how do you think you can approach them without, you know, making them too defensive or thinking, oh, you have ADHD, you have a problem, especially because there is that stigma around it. Yeah, that's a that's a really, really great point. Um, uh, some of the best stuff on ADHD is on YouTube. So there's incredible information on YouTube in terms of what we now know about ADHD versus the old outdated stuff. So, uh, so Dr. Russell Barkley, who I mentioned before, who's probably the worldwide leader on ADHD. A lot of his lectures are on YouTube and he really talks about the ADHD language connection and what self-regulation is. So I would, I would strongly suggest these people kind of, kind of watch these videos and they can start th to think to themselves, hey, I have these problems too. Uh, and a good friend of mine, uh, Ryan Wexelblatt, he's called the, the ADHD Dude. You can find him on Instagram and Facebook, The ADHD Dude. He has some incredible videos on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook, uh, really discussing various symptoms of, uh, of, of ADHD. And uh, I, I, show, I show those videos to a lot of my students and a lot of my families because it really starts to click. Because once again, there's so many misconceptions about ADHD. Uh, you know, everyone thinks, oh, people with ADHD can't focus, but they absolutely can focus as long as it's a preferred thing. So like I said before, uh, a lot of them have that fixed mindset. So whatever is within their fixed mindset, whatever they love to do, they will hyper-focus on it like you, like you can't believe. They'll hyper-focus on video games. They'll hyper-focus on phones. 
uh, YouTube or whatever it is that they love. It could be sports. It could be TV. It could be, you know, whatever their hobby is, they might hyper-focus on it. Uh, so they'll say, oh, I don't have ADHD. I focus great. But it's really, you know, because you're focusing on what's preferred to you. Yeah, that's such a good point. And I think there are those misconceptions that keep people from even reaching out for help because they think, oh, well, I don't check off the box of what I've seen. I can focus. I am fine. I get good grades. So I don't necessarily have ADHD. So that's a great point. And now I want to talk more about your work as a speech and language pathologist and how that does connect to um, work with ADHD and executive functioning skills. Can you talk a little bit more about what you exactly do? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I mentioned before the difference between speech and language. So a lot of people just quickly say speech therapist, but it's really speech and language pathologist, like you said. So speech and language are two very, very different things. Speech is intelligibility. Language is huge. You know, language makes the world go around. Language is the is the foundation of all of all human life and connection. Uh, so I'm much more of a language therapist than a speech therapist. And like I said, I really created this term internal language to describe ADHD and executive functioning. Uh, so, so many people, Dr. Russell Barkley, Sarah Ward, Ryan Wexelblatt, all these great ADHD people have highlighted the connection between ADHD and language. And the core foundation of ADHD and executive functioning, the core deficit that these students are having, these kids are having, these adults are having, are the deficits in nonverbal and verbal working memory. So the ability to hold images in mind, the visual imagery system of the brain, which is nonverbal working memory, and the self-talk system, the brain coach system, which is the verbal working memory. So like I said before, these kids do not visualize to themselves, they do not create mental movies, which causes them to be stuck in the now and not the and not future planning. So they're stuck in they're stuck in the in the moment. This is why they have huge long lists of missing assignments because they're not able to forecast themselves into the future, getting in trouble at school. When when they like the, the typical student will say, "I better get this done because tomorrow I'll be embarrassed, or tomorrow I'll be the only student that doesn't have the work done," and they end up having twenty. 30 missing assignments because they don't know how to forecast themselves into the future. Um, and they can't re-image the relevant past. Like uh, a lot of kids with ADHD develop very uh, negative self-image because they're not able to learn from past experiences and they make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And that's because they're not visualizing themselves. People with strong nonverbal working memory visualize to themselves that you, you can think of a past experience and you could create all of the senses in your mind. You can think of a dinner you had last week and you could rehear the sounds. You can retaste the food. Uh, you can re-see all the sights. You can recreate all of the senses in your non-verbal working memory. It's, a, it's, it's an amazing system. It's really like the one part of our brain, the main part of our brain that really separates humans from animals is our non-verbal visual imagery system. It's, it's really quite fascinating. And then there's the verbal working memory, which is the ability to have an internal dialogue. And the part of the brain that allows us to talk to our brain is the same part of the brain that allows me to talk to you right now. So you cannot be engaged in self-talk with your brain at the same time you're talking to somebody else. It's the same system and you can't do both things at once. I can talk to you right now with my mouth and I can't sit here and talk to my brain. 
So when speech therapists are working on expressive language and vocabulary and sentence structure and how to speak, it's the exact same way. We just have to direct it inward and privatize it and make sure they're aware that you have to talk to your brain before you make decisions, before you follow through on, on an emotion or a trigger or a stimuli or anything like that. So that's the main part is the internal language. And then there's the social skills and the social pragmatics connection to ADHD, which I highlighted, which is issues with perspective taking, situational awareness, and social relatedness. Uh, these are specific to ADHD uh, and executive dysfunction, and speech and language pathologists work on social pragmatic language. Uh, so, the, uh, you know, the connections to language are just endless. But the number one thing is that these students are lacking in internal language. And, uh, and, and when those skills are worked on, when they're practiced repetitively with strategies and engaging and energetic strategies and, and exercises, we see incredible progress. And all of the goals I have for my students are fading prompts towards independence. So how do we know these kids are progressing and they're using their nonverbal and verbal working memory because they're becoming more independent and less prompt dependent? That's amazing. And I'm curious if you see often that you have to help them rebuild their self-esteem, because I imagine if they don't have that internal language and, you know, everyone sees that they didn't have their assignments or they feel stupid because they just can't think of the consequences, maybe. Um, is that something you see often that rebuilding that self-esteem and that positive self-talk is a big part of it? That's a great question. So like I said before, uh, kids with ADHD have a lot of negative self-image because of their ability to learn from past experiences. And they're getting a lot of negative feedback from adults with strong executive functioning around them. Uh, so the number one thing is when we're building nonverbal working memory, we're picturing ourselves being successful in the future. So we're starting with the positive. You picture yourself being done with a non-preferred task. You picture yourself completing a goal and you picture yourself being successful and you plan backwards. So that's always a, a starting point. And then when we're building verbal working memory and self-talk, the brain coach system, the brain coach is always positive. The brain coach is always coaching you. It's flexible and it's, it's always helping you through difficult situations. So when it comes to this negative self-image, a big issue with ADHD is resiliency. And these kids have great difficulty bouncing back from past experiences. And this is what causes them to create that fixed mindset because they don't want to try new things. Because we all know, individuals with strong executive functioning know, when you start something new, you're probably going to suck at it. You're probably not going to be very good. There's going to be a learning curve. Uh, you're not going to be good at basketball the first time you try. You're not going to be good at drawing the first time you try. You're not going to be good at whatever it may be the first time. It's going to take it's going to take some practice. And kids with ADHD don't want to practice. They want to be good at something immediately. You know, we live in a world today of instant gratification where you can pick up your phone, you can turn on the TV, you can order something online and get it the next day. You can uh, download a game instantly. You don't have to go to the store anymore. Uh, and these kids want that with everything they try. And if they don't get instant gratification, that's when they start to avoid and procrastinate. And then things build up and they build up that negative self-image. Uh, so uh, in terms of building up a positive self-talk and positive brain coach, that really comes naturally with the progress. So we, it's very important to get buy-in from the student 
And that's something we always specialize in. We always, you know, parents, when they contact me, they always say, my son is not going to agree to therapy. My son is not going to want to do this. He's not going to want to meet with you. He's not going to want to talk to you. And I say, okay, just get him, get him through the door. We'll take care of the rest. So we always, we, all of our sessions are engaging, energetic, motivating, and we get the buy-in and it's, and, and we, we get them to see like, this is not what you think therapy is. And when they start to see the progress and their parents are off their back, their teachers are off their back, they're taking care of the little things, their confidence just flourishes. That's great. And especially for kids, I imagine they have that idea of going to therapy, feeling like something's wrong with them. That doesn't help. But it's great to hear that's such an amazing environment. And I'm curious as to if you feel like it's harder for adults in this situation, because you talked about that fixed mindset and maybe thinking, oh, I've always been like this. I've been like this as a child, a young adult. And so I don't want to change. This is fine for me. It works for me. Do you see with the progress? I know you work with children a lot, you mentioned. Um, is it harder for adults going through this type of treatment and experience to go through it because maybe they have more of a fixed mindset? It definitely is. So, uh, so one important thing to know about executive functioning is the frontal lobe of the brain, the home of executive functioning, really develops until about 25, 26 years old. That's when it's at its peak. So the brain grows from back to back to front. So it's that frontal lobe of the brain that's the last to develop. So if you're past 25, 26 years old, and you just find out now you have ADHD or executive function challenges, then, then yeah, it's a little late for you to really get that therapy, but you still can. You still can have strategies but a lot of it's going to have to be like external things. Like you're going to have to probably set up a lot of alarms. You're probably going to need a lot of cues, a lot of checklists, a lot of ex external support, uh, because it's going to be a little bit tougher to build those internal skills as it is with a college student or a high school student. Uh, so with adults, it is really hard. And, uh, and a lot of them, you know, look back on their life and say, Hey, why didn't I recognize this earlier? Uh, and they look back and they look at all the failed relationships and the, and the, the things that they could have been successful on. Neurotypical people, people without ADHD, tend to look back on their life and have regrets. That's a totally normal thing. And so I could have worked harder at this. I could have been nicer to this person. I could have pursued this. But with ADHD, it's just times 10, times 15. Uh, so it, it really does cause a lot of negativity. Uh, and, and, and they definitely need a lot of support. And, and when you're younger, it's a lot easier to get help because you're in school and there's counselors, there's speech and language pathologists, there's teachers, there's your parents. But if you're an adult, it's definitely harder to get the help. You're gonna have to use your insurance to find therapy. You're gonna have to find a therapist in your, in your area. You're gonna have to find a therapist who understands ADHD, which is hard to find. Uh, so, so yeah, getting a diagnosis later in life can be a very difficult thing. Uh, one thing I do recommend that adults do is find their local CHAD group. So CHAD is C-H-A-D-D. -D. So it's children and adults with ADHD or ADD. Local CHAD groups are just local free support groups for individuals with ADHD, and they are absolutely tremendous. I'm, I'm, on, I'm one of the board members of the local area out here in Philadelphia, and the, the work that they do for the community with adults with ADHD is just tremendous. So if you're an adult with ADHD, find your local CHAD support group. Thank you for sharing that resource. Um, and I know I asked you about 
how someone who is maybe in a relationship with someone with ADHD can approach it. But what advice do you have for parents who have children with ADHD and maybe they're just really trying to be patient and, you know, they want them to succeed and support them um, while also gaining the help? How do you think they can approach it? Yep. So, so, uh, so, so parents have a, have a number of different things that they, that they can approach. Uh, the number one thing that they'll, they'll probably want to do is get an evaluation, uh, whether you need to get an evaluation through insurance or you need to get an evaluation done by a, a specialized provider. You really want to see where their skills are. So you're going to want to see where their language skills are. You're going to want to have a licensed clinician observe them in the natural environment, analyze their writing samples, give you parent checklists. You're, you really need that evaluation to see if you can get a diagnosis. I'm not very big on diagnoses and labels because I, I look at each student as a unique individual, but an evaluation is a good starting point, okay? So you really want to see, look at your student and look at your child and really see, you know, what are the strengths and what are the areas of need? What am I doing for him? How many things am I doing for my child? How am I acting as their executive functioning? How am I acting as their frontal lobe? And based on their age, what should they really be doing independently? How can I step back? So when parents step back, kids step up. So it's so important to have structure in the home. And that's something that parents today really struggle with is having structure and, and screen time structure and video game structure. If your son or daughter has uh, is spends a lot of time on their phone, a lot of time on YouTube, a lot of time on video games, you have to limit that. And it's up to you. If they're under the age of 18, that's your Wi-Fi, that's your phone, and those are your video games, not your child. So it's so important that you have screen time structure in the home, whether you only allow a couple hours a day or only on weekends, you cannot have open access to these things. They have to have varied experiences and interpersonal relationships. Those are the two things that parents need to focus on, is having the structure and making sure their child has varied experiences. I talked about it before where individuals with ADHD get stuck in the growth mindset and don't want to do new things because they're afraid they'll be bad at it. So the most important thing is make sure your student has varied experiences. That is crucial. Make sure your child has varied experiences and they're meeting new people and they're having varied interpersonal relationships. So you want to have structure in the home around screens, around whatever they're isolating into, you're going to want to get an evaluation. You're going to want to speak to your pediatrician or whoever about possible medication. Uh, and you're going to want to really, you know, start to build that ADHD tribe. Parents can join the Chad support group uh, and really start to speak to the professionals in the area. Mm -hmm. And you brought up a great point, too. I was going to ask you, I guess, if you've seen comorbidity often with ADHD and other diagnoses like anxiety, social anxiety, even depression, because that can lead, you know, the cycle of if you don't feel good about yourself, that can lead to depression. If you don't want to meet new people, if you don't feel comfortable trying new things, that can lead to anxiety. Is that something you've seen often in your work? Absolutely. So anxiety is a huge, huge part of ADHD. So like I said before, what ADHD truly is, is a disorder of self-regulation. So people with uh, anxiety have difficulty self-regulating when they're having this, these, negative, these negative thoughts or these negative feelings. So anxiety and self-regulation are, are, are highly correlated. And, uh, like, and like I continue to say, individuals with ADHD 
are scared to try new things and they have anxiety towards new things. They're afraid to do things in front of their peers, in front of others. They're afraid to be bad. They're afraid to try those sorts of things. Uh, so that's really, really, that's a, that, that's a really great point uh, because anxiety is huge with ADHD. It's huge with negative self-talk. And, you know, all people have anxiety, but some people, but we have coping mechanisms and we talk back to our anxiety and we choose, we choose not to get stuck on those thoughts. We allow them to be transient and fleeting and, and ending, and we transition to a new thought. But with ADHD, there's no internal language. So they get stuck on that negative, anxious thought and they get stuck on it. And it causes them to have a lot of issues, whether they internalize it or externalize it. Uh, so, so, uh, and there's a lot of negative self-talk to begin with negative internal language. Uh, so anxiety is a huge part of a huge comorbidity with ADHD. Mm -hmm. And that definitely makes sense. Thank you for explaining. And so what would you finally say to someone who, whether they were just diagnosed with ADHD or they feel like they resonate in some way and are struggling and maybe they, they need some advice to feel hopeful about, you know, getting better in that sense, or just being able to live with their ADHD, what would you tell them? Absolutely. Uh, so one of the most important things that I always say is we know more about ADHD now than we ever did. So like we started off talking about how misunderstood ADHD has been, but now we have a great grip on it. We really understand it. We understand the language connection. We understand the core deficits. We're not looking at just external symptoms anymore and putting short-term band-aids over them. We're focused on internal skill building, self-regulation, self-motivation, self-evaluation, all based in self-talk and, and visual imagery. So there has been unbelievable research done, CT studies, MRI studies, brain scan studies on exactly what ADHD is, where the deficits are. So we have so there's no better time than now to get the help you need if you have ADHD. So there are incredible professionals out there that can give you the help and not just sit there, um, One the therapist in one chair, you on a couch or you want to share across from them talking about your feelings and talking about your problems. Now it, we know actual strategies, we know actual exercises, and we know actual things you can do to improve your life. So in the past, it was a real struggle. And also, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a therapist, so I'm, I'm not someone who prescribes medication or anything like that. But uh, ADHD medication has proven to be highly effective. Of course, there's the whole trial period of finding the right medication and the right dosage, which can be quite difficult for parents and for kids. But ADHD medication is has, has shown to be highly effective and if taken long enough, can lead to positive brain changes. Therapy is high quality these days. ADHD medication is high, has shown to be highly effective. So the help you need is out there. It's just a matter of finding it. Definitely. And I appreciate people like you who do this work, who break that stigma and remind people to not have shame around it. And that's okay. And you can live a fulfilling life. And so overall, this show is about living your most authentic life. And I personally believe that comes with self-awareness and getting help when you need it without that shame. And so for you, what does living your most authentic life mean? 
Oh, that is a great question. And I absolutely love that. So that is so awesome. Uh, you know, I, I got into this field of, of becoming a speech and language therapist. Uh, at first, I wanted to be an educator. My mom was a math teacher for years and years and years. So I, I always knew I wanted to work with kids. I always knew I wanted to help people and, and focus on my career doing that. Uh, and I and a long road towards, you know, getting a second bachelor's in speech and going in to get my master's degree in speech pathology and moving to Philadelphia and starting my practice here to work with students one-on-one. That to me is why is is my purpose. That to me is why I feel that, you know, I'm here and I'm, you know, I want to have a positive impact on others. I want, you know, uh, you know, I'm very big on the unique individual. Uh, You know, in, in today's world, uh, we get way too caught up on diagnoses, labels, standardized scores, standardized tests, grades, uh, you know, whatever it may be. You know, every single person has an unbelievable strength that nobody else has. And that's something that, you know, all people with ADHD should understand. And that's all that's what all people should understand. And if I can help people see that in themselves like you have this gift, you have this challenge, you are unbelievably creative, you are unbelievably strong, you can also help people yourself and you can have a positive impact on people. That to me is how I want to continue to live my life and I want to have that impact on people. Uh, and uh, if I'm able to do that, if I'm able to continue to do that, uh, I, I, will be, I will be very happy about that. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing and thank you for being here. And before we finish off, I want to ask you if there's anything coming up next for you and your work with Grow Now Therapy that you would like to share and where can listeners give you a follow? Sure, absolutely. Uh, So I I post a lot of uh, informational videos on my Instagram. My Instagram is at Grow Now Therapy. I also have a, a, a Facebook page, Grow Now, and a group ADHD for speech and language pathologists. You can follow me on YouTube, Grow Now Therapy, and Instagram, Grow Now Therapy. Uh, I'm always posting a lot of uh, great parent information uh, there uh, and uh, in- interacting with people. I always answer every direct message. People reach out to me and ask me questions. I love when people reach out. I love speaking to each individual person. Uh, I have some research that I did a while back that I'm working to get published on this whole internal language model. Uh, so I'm looking to get that all out there. Uh, and, and yeah, so uh, there's definitely, you know, my, my practice is, is growing and expanding as we're seeing a lot of success and a lot of progress in our students. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that we continue to reach more people and reach more families. And I get to train more staff, you know, across, across the country. I've done some, I've been lucky enough to travel the globe and present, present on executive functioning. Uh, so, so the more that the more people I can reach and kind of share you know, how ADHD can be a gift and, and, the, and the language connection so that people can get the help they need. Uh, you know, that's, that's what I'm looking to do in the, in the years to come. Incredible. Well, thank you so much for being here, Michael, and for doing the work that you do. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. You are, you are an awesome host. Personally, I learned a lot from this episode, a lot more about ADHD, executive functioning that I did not know before. Like I mentioned, I had been learning about ADHD 
in school, but I had never spoken to a specialist, an ADHD specialist or a speech and language pathologist about this topic. I hope this was a reminder that you're not alone. There is hope. There are types of treatment that can help and you are not defined by diagnosis, by a struggle you experience. So I'd love to know what you were able to take away, what you enjoyed. You can let Michael know on Instagram at GrowNowTherapy, and you can also reach me on Instagram at TrustAndThrive. You can also provide some feedback or support the show by leaving a rating and review on Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps, so thank you in advance. And I'd love to know what topics interest you, what you want to hear on the show. If you have any guest suggestions, I'm trying to stay up to date um, with emails and everything. And I'm just always so thankful to anyone who reaches out. I hope you have a wonderful, restful rest of your week. And I will catch you all next Thrive Thursday. Thursday.